Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by B. Riley Financial. B. Riley Financial's diverse suite of services goes beyond traditional financial service offerings. By leveraging cross-platform expertise and assets, B. Riley Financial companies are uniquely positioned to provide full-service collaborative solutions to our clients at every stage of the business lifecycle and in all market conditions. B. Riley refers to B. Riley Financial Incorporated and or Wonder More its subsidiaries or affiliates. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Advisory Services, and I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. And welcome to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, I'm pleased to welcome a, uh, a friend and colleague, Bill Korn, who is the chief financial officer at CareCloud. Looking forward to a great conversation with this strategic CFO. Bill, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you, Dave. It's great to be here. Pleasure to have you, Bill. Tell the audience a little bit about who you are. Sure. Uh, Bill Korn. I am the CFO of CareCloud. Uh, CareCloud went public nine years ago. Uh, at the time, we were called Medical Transcription Billing Corporation. Uh, 90% of our revenue was uh, was really medical billing. Uh, 17 acquisitions later, and, uh, and, uh, and now we're a... Uh, uh, significantly larger company. One of the companies we bought was named CareCloud. And, and since today, uh, over 85% of our revenue is cloud-based services for uh, for healthcare companies. We took uh, CareCloud's name. And you know, I've been uh, pleased to, uh, to be able to take the company public and, uh, and help it through the, uh, the journey. And that's a great segue because you're a seven-time CFO. You've gone, you've taken companies public more than once, uh, including this one. Talk about the process of going public, Bill. Sure. So, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people look at the uh, at the idea of an IPO with with a lot of trepidation. You know, they've heard war stories. They've heard you need to do lots of filings. You need to, uh, to to have lots of meetings. And you know, at one level, some of that's true. It's it's hard work. Uh, on the other hand, almost everything in life that's worth doing is uh, is hard work. I mean, the, the act of getting private equity or venture capital has never been uh, described as a uh, as a walk in the park. And uh, for uh, you know, for for me, uh, when when I joined the company, we were small. We were ten million in trailing revenue. So most people would have said, a ten million dollar company, how are you going to go public? Well, even before going public, the business ran as if it was going to go public one day. So audited financials, controls over uh, processes, segregation of duties. You, you make sure that the person who's, uh, who's working with the vendors isn't the same one writing, is, uh, writing the checks and, uh, and developing a uh, sort of a layer of, uh, of professional management so that you've got people with, with real responsibilities. So small company, but acting very much like a, uh, like a big company. So in that respect, going hard actually didn't really change what most people did on a on a day to day basis. Uh, nobody really noticed the fact that we went public. Uh, customers could now say, "Ah, I'm served by a uh, by a public company." So one of the uh, the leaders in the uh, in the industry, and and that certainly is a uh, is a good thing. 
And, you know, as we, as we've grown uh, in part, some of the growth has come through, uh, through acquisitions and it's been great to, uh, to be able to talk to other companies. Hey, we're big, we're public, we're growing. How would you like to be part of this? And it's a real step forward. So, uh, so you need to do a little bit of work, but on the other hand, it's, uh, it's really rewarding. So, uh, so I, I found, and I think the, uh, I speak for the whole management team. Uh, we found the, uh, the whole process to be, uh, to be a, a great process. So no regrets whatsoever. Yeah. And there's certainly a lot of cachet to say that you are part of a public company. Uh, but the question then arises, the, the cost of going public versus the value, the administrative burden versus that access to capital. How have you found balance there, Bill? Yeah, good, uh, good question. So uh, for us, the administrative burden hasn't actually been that great. And, and part of this is that uh, you know, while we're a U.S. company with the headquarters in, uh, in New Jersey, uh, we got a lot of overseas uh, staff members who do a lot of work, a lot of work for customers, a lot of uh, R&D on our, uh, on our technology, uh, as well as a lot of the, uh, the back office functions. So, you know, for example, the, uh, the team that, uh, that does all the work to repair 10Ks and 10Qs and, and interfaces with our auditors, Grant Thornton. Uh, I've got a controller who's here in the, uh, in the U.S., uh, but most of the rest of the team is overseas. And in many respects, they were always closing the books every month and preparing financials monthly anyway. So the idea that once a quarter you've got to give them to uh, to somebody else to uh, to give a uh, a, w- a one week look at wasn't really actually all that big a deal. So I guess I'd say if you're you know, if you're any business, whether you've got venture capital or private equity or or even it's a family business and you're reporting back to other family members, you're going to have to do a lot of this work anyhow. So uh, yeah, we just developed the uh, the discipline to close the books promptly. Put out the numbers, you know, fully, uh, fully baked and uh, and ready to uh, to go once a quarter, and then, you know, literally the you know the only thing that you do that you wouldn't have to do if you were private is once a quarter we do a uh, an earnings conference call, and we tell people how we've done, and in some respects that even helps you uh, sort of focus uh, as a management team because you want to set the right expectations for the future, and then you want to go and deliver on those expectations, which is what you want to do any in any in any event. Yeah. In one of our earlier conversations, you made uh, an observation that you can create value by setting up for an IPO, even if you don't ultimately go into a, into an IPO. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. And you know, in, in CareCloud's case, I think when the, when the company was started, the uh, the founder was thinking about an IPO even twenty years ago. Uh, but as you mentioned, this is this is not my first time as a CFO, and, and uh, I'm also a board member of a couple companies. So I've I've worked with a lot of other companies, and you know one thing I've uh, I've definitely observed is that you'll find a venture back company who says I'm not going to get I'm not going to get an exit by going through an IPO. You know we're going to get bought either by a PE firm, we're going to get bought by a larger strategic player in the uh, in the space. So why do I need to do an IPO? And, you know, and, and then they go, as they're in the process of, uh, of trying to sell the business, you'd like to think that when you're selling a, a business, you get three people who are bidding on the same day. I mean, that's, the, that's nirvana when you're selling a house. It doesn't even happen all the time when you're selling a house. It certainly doesn't happen when you're trying to sell a business. So the reality is if you're really trying to, uh, to sell the business, what happens is you've got one buyer and they realize they're the only buyer that day. So they give you a number that makes sense for them, but not necessarily a number that uh, that you want, and you have no leverage. 
Uh, you know, what I've seen companies do is go down what's called the dual path. So even if you tell yourself, I don't really think it's going to be an IPO, I prepare. I get my numbers audited. By the way, even somebody private buying me is going to want to see those uh, audited financials anyway. It gives some credibility. I'll put in place a, uh, a board with a couple of independent directors. Uh, I can prepare the uh, the initial filings, the initial uh, uh, filings to be a, a public company. Uh, they can be filed with the SEC confidentially. So nobody needs to see them. Uh, but then if I'm going in the, and, and having a conversation about selling the business, you know, you can casually drop the uh, the comment, hey, we're thinking about going public. If you want to take us off that path, that's great. You know, we're happy to, uh, to entertain it, but, but it's going to have to be the right price. And then even if you only have one bid happening at one time, if it's, if it's something you're interested in, that works really well. And if it's not, you can say, well, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm going public and B. Riley has taken me public. So uh, and you can see my filing and, you can, you know, you can see all the stuff and, and uh, you know, but uh, but you know, stay tuned. And, and, and all of a sudden now the, uh, the buyer recognizes they're going to have to sharpen their pencil. They're going to have to you know, put together a bid as if there's real competition because, because they don't know. And by the way, you might actually go public. So. Uh, so you, so you get yourself ready and, uh, and, and I found that that really gives you a lot of leverage and, uh, and the cost of doing it at the end of the day, isn't so much. And, and again, even if you're uh, a private company thinking about selling privately, you're going to want audited financials. You're going to want the credibility that comes with uh, having put things together. Uh, you're going to want to have an organized data room so that if somebody's interested, all your documents are accessible, password protected online. So you've done all that for the uh, for the purpose of selling anyway. You might as well do it for the purpose of the uh, the IPO at the same time. Yeah, that's some sage advice. I mean, you're doing everything, buttoning things up for best practices and day-to-day operations, but you've created a window for really creating some strategic value and, and more options, frankly. Uh, right. Bill, for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or CareCloud or how they can connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, probably the best way to, uh, to reach me is uh, is email. Uh, my email is bill, B-I-L-L, at cornintellect.com, K-O-R-N-I-N-T-E-L-L-E-C-T.com. And you can feel free to, uh, to send me a note. I'm happy to talk about CareCloud or talk about your business if you're thinking about going public or, uh, or really anything else. Yeah, thanks for that offer. Bill, we're going to have to take a quick commercial break here. So you sit tight. You folks watching and listening, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick commercial break. Aloha. Joe Silva here with Kakua Technologies. I'm excited to see you on Tuesdays on Morning Coffee for our tech tips. get a bad rap. I'm Erin Bruschi, host of Legal Breakdown, where we dissect legal topics for the everyday viewer with a mix of interesting guests to talk about current events and hot legal topics. Let's work together to make the law accessible and relevant to everyone. Catch us every week on RVN Television. There's an old expression in business that you can't manage what you can't measure. 
Business performance and business valuation, it's all measured by the numbers. But I've learned that the real lessons and the tough decisions that are made occur behind the numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. Join me and my guests as we go behind the numbers to understand what really matters most in business. Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by B. Riley Financial. B. Riley Financial's diverse suite of services goes beyond traditional financial service offerings. By leveraging cross-platform expertise and assets, B. Riley Financial companies are uniquely positioned to provide full-service collaborative solutions to our clients at every stage of the business lifecycle and in all market conditions. B. Riley refers to B. Riley Financial Incorporated and or Wonder More with subsidiaries or affiliates. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Bill Korn, who's the Chief Financial Officer at CareCloud. Bill, welcome back. Round two here on Behind the Numbers. want to uh, jump right on in. Continuing the conversation about what it's like to be going public, once you are public and you've got these certain requirements, but part of being public uh, involves equity research. And I know that you're a, uh, a B. Riley client on the equity research side, uh, maybe on a few other sides as well. But what's been your experience in working with B. Riley? Yeah, so it's been uh, it's been great, and we have uh, at this point we have uh, analysts from six different sell side firms who uh, who cover us. And uh, Mark, who's the uh, the analyst from uh, from B. Riley, uh, we've met in person many times. Obviously, uh, lots of lots of conversations over Zoom over the last couple of years, and uh, you know he's really knowledgeable about the field. Uh, sometimes suggests other companies, other people we should meet, other opportunities to uh, to maybe partner or grow, and uh, you know, and, and he's usually pretty insightful in terms of figuring out what are we, what not only what have we done in the past, but what are we likely to do in the future. And so you know, it's good having uh, having him uh, helping to tell the story because at some level, if you're an investor, you know, hearing from the CFO. Okay, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. Now, now I'm hearing from a uh, from an analyst who covers lots of companies in the uh, in the space. You know, now they can really tell me what's going on. So it's you know, it's good having uh, having folks uh, like that. Uh, you know, who, who've taken the time to get to know the uh, the company and, and and to get to know the industry. Awesome. And, yeah, we've we've also worked with the uh, uh, with the investment banking team pretty heavily. Uh, on the corporate finance side, uh, B. Riley's helped us with a, with a number of, uh, of, of uh, capital raises. I mean, I'd, I'd say, you know, one of the most notable ones was in early April of 2020. So, you know, the world was just sort of getting used to the idea we had COVID. The markets were, uh, were sort of in shock. And we'd done a big acquisition. Uh, we were feeling good. We didn't need the money. But we thought there might be opportunities, so we said, "Let's go and raise an extra twenty-five million dollars, just so that we're ready if we want to uh, to buy someone." And you know, despite the fact that the market sort of seemed to be closed, they they stepped up to the uh, to the plate, and and within four hours of starting the deal, I get the uh, the telephone call, Bill, we got a a problem. What's what's the problem? Problem is we have so much demand that even if we upsize this round, uh, we still won't be able to give everybody the shares that they wanted. And I'm like, "That's a great problem. Good uh, good job, guys." So. Uh, they've been helpful, and 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 they've even helped us uh, go and spend it because you know then uh, then a couple months later we found a uh, a business that uh, that was in our space that had been a piece of GE Healthcare had spun off to a private equity firm. The private equity firm was uh, was 
feeling they were in trouble and we had an opportunity to uh, to buy them on uh, on really great terms and the uh, uh, the m and a team at, uh, at B Riley found that deal and introduced us there so uh, you know, I think it's been a uh, been a great relationship. So we we definitely enjoy working with uh, with everybody there. Thank you for sharing that. I know we feel the same. Uh, Want to jump back into uh, your role as CFO? And you shared something with me in one of our earlier conversations that as a CFO, you need to think like the CEO or an investor. Can you expound on that for the audience, Bill? Sure. And you know, as as, as you mentioned before, this is my seventh CFO role, and, and I've been in business for. 35, 40 years. So it's a, it's a long time. And, and, and a lot of the time has been as a, as a finance executive, but my training was as a, uh, as an MBA, uh, I have an, uh, an MBA from, uh, from Harvard. And I guess I've always learned that you need to approach the world thinking about it as a generalist, not thinking about it as a specialist. And, uh, you know, there are, there are times as, as CFO where, you know, I'm taking the banner of we have to have good branding. We have to be thinking about it from from how do we add value to customers? Because by the way, the only way you add value to your to your investors is if you're adding value to your customers. And I can remember years ago, I was at another company. This was long before CareCloud. And one day, the uh, the VP of marketing, whose office was uh, was right next to mine, said, "Bill, you know, your your voice is loud, and I hear you on the phone all the time." Uh, he says, "I never realized this, but you're having the exact same conversations that I am." You're talking about what we do. You're describing our products. You're describing our value proposition. You happen to be talking to investors. I'm talking to customers. It's the exact same thing. So he said, I never would have thought that marketing and finance were so similar, but they are. And, and I, and I do think that's true. And, and I do think that as a, you know, as an effective CFO, you need to be thinking about the business. You need to be the, uh, the, the, the person that the CEO can call with a, uh, with a question. And, and you need to be thinking about, you know, how, how does this make strategic sense for us as a uh, as a company? So, you know, a deal needs to make sense from the numbers, but it also needs to fit. It needs to fit with the people. It needs to fit with the uh, with the product line. It needs to fit with the uh, with the strategy. And I think if you take that perspective, then uh, then you can be a lot more successful. Gotcha, Bill. You know, as the CFO, you're responsible for the financial stewardship, and a lot of folks will view the CFO as the number two person inside an organization, right behind the CEO. So when you think about leadership and all that that entails, what's your lens on that? And what does leadership mean to you? So, you know, I, th- I think leadership really means that you're, uh, that you're doing the right things. You're treating others the way you want to be treated. Uh, whenever you're making a, a promise, you're fill- fulfilling that promise. So if you can't do something, you're not going pr- to say you're going to do it. And, and sometimes that means that the, that the person doesn't hear what they wanted to hear. They wanted you to say, you know, yes, I can, I can fly faster than the speed of light. That, that sounds really good. But, but when you've thought about the physics, if the answer is you really can't do that, you say, I, you know, I'm going to try, but you know, th- there are some of these laws here. And by the way, this is what I can do. And, and you've set the right expectations and then you can deliver on that. And, and I do think that that percolates down from the, uh, from the top and, you know, through the whole organization, you want people to, uh, to be able to, to, to be confident, they can tell the truth. They can tell a customer, they can tell a vendor, they can tell another employee, they can tell anybody what, you know, what's really happening. So they're not making empty promises. They're actually uh, saying things and then fulfilling it. And, uh, and anything that builds a, uh, a successful organization. Yeah, for sure. Over the course of your 
seven-time tenure as, as a CFO, uh, the role has evolved. And I talk to a lot of CFOs and hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Roles and responsibilities, assuming leadership roles for different functions that are not necessarily the finance function, whether it's HR, yeah. IT, et cetera. What's been your experience in, in leading those other functions? And what's your advice for CFOs who are now going to be taking on those other, we'll call them unfamiliar, if you will, functions? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think if you approach it from the beginning saying, I'm a generalist, I'm looking out for the whole business, and I'm not looking out from this, the strictly finance perspective, it's a lot easier. And, you know, I've, uh, I've managed HR in lots of companies, and, and, you know, sometimes a company gets big enough, it's got its own HR function, but sometimes it's smaller, and, and, and you know, in, in some respect, the most important assets in the company are those people. And, and so thinking about how am I going to treat the people right What's the right way to uh, to incent people? What's the right compensation plan? Uh, at times, I've uh, I've been responsible for uh, for legal, and again, you get bigger. And I'd say by the time you're public, you've got to have to have to have a separate general counsel. But still, everything that you're doing in a uh, in a financial transaction, you have to be thinking about it from a you know we're going to do this right legally. We're going to you know uh, sign NDAs, and we're going to do contracts right, and we're going to do all the filings on time. Uh, at times I've managed uh, technology and, and I mean, that wasn't true when I was at IBM, obviously there were plenty of technologists there, uh, but there's been lots of times that I've been with, uh, with companies where, you know, I've had more of the technical background than the people who were part of the, the business because it's a non-technology business. And, you know, finally there was even a, uh, a time that I was CFO of a, of a company, I guess this was in the, uh, in the 1990s. And the two founders went off and started a dot com and, and, and they said, Bill, we want you to be the COO. So all of a sudden I was responsible for essentially the full operations of the uh, the company. It was a thousand person uh, company and we doubled in size over nine months uh, in revenue and, and, and added another thousand employees uh, in, in six offices throughout the, uh, the U.S. So, you know, I, I guess I've enjoyed uh, doing a lot of different things and. You know, I, I sort of look at the look at it every day and say, how, you know, what else can we do that's that's new and different and uh, and, and that's going to add value for the uh, for the business. Bill, if the audience wants to get some more valuable insights from you directly, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure, uh, best way is my email, uh, Bill B I L L at cornintellect.com, K O R N I N T E L L E C T dot com. Thanks. Bill, we're getting down to the short strokes here. Just a couple of minutes to go here on, on the, this episode of Behind the Numbers. And I want to kind of sneak in one more question, if I might. Uh, and that's sure. regarding acquisitions. That's a big part of the CFO function. And as you probably know, depending on where you get your data, anywhere between 75 and 90% of M&A deals fail to deliver on the synergies that mm-hmm. was intended. Um, Talk about your experience with acquisitions and what advice might you have for the CFOs or, frankly, anyone in the audience who may be going through that process? Yeah. So acquisitions can be great. You know, as you mentioned, the vast majority don't work. And, and again, I think step one is, is you got to look at it and, and say, does this make sense from everybody's perspective, from the people, from the customers of the, uh, the business being acquired, from your perspective? Uh, you know, is it, is it better to, uh, to do the deal? And, and frankly, I'd say, you know, if 90% of the, uh, the deals don't deliver, at least 90% of the companies you talk to don't turn into deals if you're doing it right. And, and, and I think that's actually a, a sign that your M&A process is working well is when you're saying no lots of times because you look at the company and you say, no, this doesn't really make sense for me. 
And, and I'd say, uh, I've always looked and that's been true at CareCloud. It's been true in, in past jobs too. I've always looked for, for acquisitions where this, this business is going to be worth more to us than it is to the seller. So if you show me another company and it's growing 10, 15% a year and it's making 35% profit margins and everybody is help, happy, am I going to make it so much better? Probably not. I mean, being, being honest, if it's really running perfectly, there isn't going to be as much value created. On the other hand, if it's got some challenges, and for example, I could use my technology, I could use my offshore team to, uh, to lower their costs. You know, I've got some, uh, some customers that want their products, or they've got some customers who may want my products. Now, all of a sudden, I can see a way that it's going to be worth a lot more. So I'd say our rule of thumb is we look at a, uh, at a transaction and say, in three or four years, I want to generate enough profit, enough cash flow to pay back what I uh, what I paid for this acquisition, and and if I can do that, then then this is probably going to be a good deal. And and even if it takes an extra year, you know, I'm still positive. And I and I compare that with people who pay. You know, I just saw a, a transaction in our industry where somebody's paying four or five times revenue, not four or five times profit, four or five times revenue for a company that's never been profitable, that's never even had a dollar of EBITDA or cash flow. And you say, how many years is it going to take them to uh, to get a return on that investment? In that case, I don't even want to sign the NDA. I don't need to see the uh, the information memorandum. It's, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And you, one of the great nuggets that you shared in there is something I learned early on in my investment banking career, and that is some of the best deals are the ones you don't do. So when you talk about saying Absolutely. no to a deal, that resonates. Bill, unfortunately, we are out of time here, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. It was a pleasure to have you with us. It was great talking to you, and uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. We've been talking today with Bill Korn, who's the Chief Financial Officer at CareCloud. And again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Big thanks to our show sponsor today, B. Riley Financial. Do check them out at brileyfin.com. As Bill mentioned, lots of ways that they can help your business. So definitely check them out at brileyfin.com. And thank you for watching and listening. We can't do this without you. Please hit the subscribe button so that you can stay in touch with all that we're up to. And that's all we have for today, folks. You take care. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Thanks.